Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. Is this on? Oh, good. Can you all hear me at the back? Oh, excellent. My fellow insane geniuses, we have a problem. Career opportunities are at an all-time low. Uh, Perhaps we shouldn't have counted on all those government grants for dark military R&D forever. But even in the corporate sector, usually reliable, ethics-free, safe space, they seem more content with simply making money than attempting to employ our obvious talents in the grand reshaping of the world as we know it. However, the problem cuts even deeper than that. Even the self-employed megalomaniac, secluded within the privacy of his own dungeon laboratory and working tirelessly to revenge himself on all those who laughed at his radical theories, has felt the squeeze. Genetically engineered creatures, infused with some new and exciting form of science, are just not that special anymore. Indeed, mutants these days are viewed as, well, just like any other human. And what good or evil they do with their great unnatural powers are down to the character of the individual who possesses them, rather than the slavish will of the one who made them. (laughs) It's as if, once the inevitable nuclear holocaust was taken off the menu, in terms of humanity's destiny, people just lost all interest in being scared of mutants. Despite the unwavering popularity of zombies in popular culture, people seem perfectly content with them just as kind of happen on their own, without any interference from a twisted geneticist bent on attaining immortality, or a dark master raising his undead horde with his witchcraft. Indeed, occultists in general are generally looked down on as nothing more than an antisocial version of the modern New Age practitioner. Before in the glory days of satanic worship hysteria, masters of the dark arts were needed to summon demons. Often after lengthy sacrificial ceremonies involving a full cabal of mindless followers, all with matching dark robes. No more. Demons just kind of pop up. In many ways, in the occult sector, Satan has simply cut out the middleman ending a useful entry-level acolyte job position for many a young, talented madman whose only goal was discovering forbidden knowledge. This is why I, Professor von Deathly Doom, am pleased to be your keynote speaker at this year's 2014 Frankenstein Expo, because I feel this is a vital time for us now, more than ever. 
It is important for us to have an open dialogue about the challenges facing the evil genius career sector. First and foremost, I feel... What was that? Who, who dares interrupt my monologue? Down with this unabashed patriot. Protester? There's always more, Mrs. Man. Guards, seize her! What? No guards? Oh, well, uh, could someone please contact hotel security then? Our voices will be heard! I will be having a Q&A section later, where I will happily refute your pathetic morality. You want to know the real reason evil geniuses are dying out? You need to look no further than your lineup of speakers. How dare you? They are the cream of intellectual pragmatism. Yes, all white males. Where are the evil women? Where are the people of colour? Isn't this an embarrassment to you? That you haven't had a megalomaniac, trans or gay person since the 70s? Well, uh, I just don't think women are all that interested in world domination. It's, a, it's no reflection on them. It's just more of a male interest as far as social trends go. Misogynist! No. I hate everyone. Seriously. You're unable to see beyond your white, heteronormative male privileges. How dare you accuse me, of all people, of being close-minded and unable to see the bigger picture? Why? I was pushing back boundaries of of one kind or another before you were even a glot of chemical-based cells dividing and gestating within your mother's highly permeable human spawning chamber. This is hatred and oppression. I am going to blog about this. I quote you word for word. You want oppression? So be it. I was going to save this for the disco tonight. But you provoked me, madam. I will now retire to my hotel room. I shall return shortly as the leader of a swarm of tiny machines, invisible to the human eye, that will kill all of you, horribly, at the subatomic level. Good day, madam. For those more interested in a practical display of science, please take the cloning kits that were in your welcome bags to Dr. Gemini in the autumn hall, or stay here if you must as next up will be a panel and live recording from the Revenge of the 80s Kids podcast. As for you, shrill female, get back to the nutrients preparation sector of your domicile. So yes, it is true. Someone has released uh, a large amount of 245 trioxin into the crypt of the 80s kids, and we are here with our Halloween show. Uh, and I, personally, I'm feeling a lot better about the fact that last year we did the kind of the standard Halloween show, and now we are free, free to do whatever we want with At our Halloween unleashed. episode. Yes, indeed. <laughs> So, uh, in, in a Simpsons, uh, styly, my name is probably, what's that? Oh yes, my ne- second name backwards is Droffelbats. So that's me, <laughs> Leo Droffelbats, uh, emerging from the crypt. 
And if you were in the end credits of uh, of The Simpsons at the Halloween time, Ian, what would your name be? Uh, Ian and the Unslain Cordwell, I think. That sounds pretty good. Ah, right. And Justin? Uh, I would be Justin. Why, God? Why have you done this to me? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, and uh, this Halloween, we have come indeed to lament the passing of uh, one of the central tropes, I think, of of horror. Well, it is, of course, one of the central tropes of horror, because who are the big boys? They're Dracula, and we're, we're not short on vampires. They might be a bit, you know, tired from all looking all handsome and being covered in body paint, but they're still there, and apparently they have fangs, and apparently they drink blood, but we're undecided as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Frankenstein. That's the other one and uh, the other big boy. And what whatever happened, whatever happened to Frankenstein? Eh? Well, apparently they're remaking it. And uh, again, because Universal, yes. you know, uh, think that the dead horse can be filled with electricity and brought twitching <laughs> back to some semblance of, of vitality. But uh, but yeah, we really are. You know, I mean, Frankenstein has been done and done and done, hasn't it? But this is where we start. So uh for the original mad scientist, you know, he's he's pushing back the boundaries of things and doing something that hasn't been done before and expanding human knowledge. At the same time, he's enormously short-sighted because as, as soon as he gets to the it's alive, he's alive moment, he doesn't know what to do with himself. In fact, he runs away in horror from the monster and tries to forget he'd ever, he'd ever existed. I mean, did you not see this to be the consequence of making a living thing? Would it be that you would have a living thing? Uh, well, I mean, the, the thing about it is, uh, I think people of today's, uh, well, I don't know what, where it is right now, but when I was a lad, Frankenstein made a, a, a monster, and then the monster went bonkers and ran away from Dr. Frankenstein, because uh, that's the way that James Whale wanted it in the 1930s, and by God, that's the way he had it. Plus, Hammer had already had their... Uh, crack at it and it's pretty much the same that he he you know I, I suppose there is a yeah there was a point in the middle of the 20th century where Frankenstein's monster and zombie kind of were together in concept that of course if someone were to you know bring the dead back to life using scientific stuff that that dead thing would be murderous and filled with rage and, you know, would go around killing things in a, in a crazy way. Um, you know, be a bit like, and of course the Boris Karloff version was a bit like the Incredible Hulk as well. Um, well, he's, so, yeah, I mean, he's also misunderstood as well because he kills, he kills a child by accident. Yeah. Well, that, this is, this is a thing that happens and, uh, yes. Um, I noticed the hounds have been released. Yes, uh, there, there are some. Um, I think Cerberus is looking a bit. Well, one of the heads of Cerberus is getting a bit active, but I think the others are yes. still napping. But anyway, yes. So uh, that when I was a lad, that, that the the story kind of made that. I suppose that does make sense. You know, you bring something to life. It's a bit miffed about it. It smashes up your laboratory and runs away into the night. That kind of makes sense. It does. Whereas uh, in actual fact, the the proper version which then towards the end of the 20th century and today they like to go back to the source material where it's frankenstein that goes ha ha it's alive that was a bit of a mistake um yeah go no, indeed. away because I'm, I'm thinking of the kenneth branner version which is supposedly the most frightful one ever done and that's it, well, literally uh, it's well, case of it's alive out, it kill was. it run away 
Yes, it was at that point the most fatal one ever done, but they've been beating that particular horse as well now. So the, the uh, later Luke Goss version, where he's the monster, uh, that also has that. Uh, basically, uh, whereas uh, Branagh's Frankenstein is like a sort of soupy, operatic, gothic kind of confection, the uh, three-hour Hallmark television movie is like a pretty straight put it on the screen kind of effort. But of course, this was liberated from the fact that uh, people had changed it previously and now they were changing it back. So if you were young today, who knows what you think of Frankenstein's monster? Uh, because, of course, earlier this year, and the only one in the room to have seen this is Justin, so he yes. might get a word in edgeways, is I, Frankenstein. <laughs> and how was that? I was going to talk about I, I, Frankenstein. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's got Frankenstein in it, it but... It's not really adhering particularly too much to the to the myth of it all. Really, it's just a, yeah. I know it's based on a Frank on a on a graphic novel, and I don't know. Is it a bit of pulp piece in this with you know demons and and Frankenstein battling various creatures? You know, it's it's um it's much more in you know it's not really a horror film. It's more action adventure. But I, so. yeah, I understand that the idea is that Frankenstein's monster kind of out, you know, lives for 200, yeah. 300 years. He goes, goes, he goes off and then he's, he's, um, <laughs> uh, because of obviously he's, 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 uh, longevity and strength and all these kind of things, he is coerced into fighting this kind of dark, uh, these kind of creatures. So, um, and, uh, it, 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 it's a bit underworld. In fact, it's very much underworld. It kind of sets up, um, this kind of this kind of strange supernatural world where there's these forces of evil battling and and good battling each other. So it's it's so much of its own thing, really. You forget that he's Frankenstein's monster because it's really irrelevant. He's just a big, you know, very difficult to kill thing that wanders around and you know uh, kicks ass on screen. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm imagining. That's- I'm imagining that, that therefore Victor Frankenstein isn't actually in I Frankenstein. No, 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 no. He's long, he's long dead. I mean, he just basically, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing to do with that aspect of it. Although it just, it picks up with him at the, at the, at the end, I guess, of, uh, Frankenstein with him wandering off. Um, so yes, it's, it doesn't really dwell on any of that at all, uh, particularly because it's, because it's a different genre. I think that that kind of exemplifies our thesis here that they made a Frankenstein movie, sort of, a movie that uses the theme of Frankenstein, and they kind of dispensed with all that mad scientist stuff, because hey, who cares about that these days? Um, the, the, I mean, moving on slightly, but not very much. Uh, the other big hitters from back in the day are, of course, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Dr. Moreau, um, they yes. are the other ones that, that come from history. Uh, I've, 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 heard, I've heard the correct pronunciation is apparently Mr. Jekyll, but uh, commonality now has Jekyll. Yes. Well, either way, uh, I mean, Dr. Jekyll, I mean, Frankenstein's had some hits in the cinematic uh, history books, uh, whereas uh, his compatriots there, uh, I think Jekyll's been a lot more um, patchy. And not only that, but I think that people have felt more at liberty to to mess about. Uh, I mean, they've messed about with Frankenstein to a great deal. You know, Frankenhooker for your consideration. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but well, what? Frank Wiener, of course. You know. Well, Frank and Weenie was out last year. That's, that's sort of. I think that's more affectionate. Whereas Frankenhooker yes. is just like 
Uh, it's mm. a prostitute made out of sewed up bits of dead prostitutes. I haven't actually seen this film. I just know it exists. Uh, but, and then, of course, you've got Dr. Jekyll. And, of course, uh, they were happy to mess around with that uh, as far back as Hammer Horror with Dr. Yeah. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Um, yeah. Which was, uh, yes. Well, and, and, course, and then that became, it, then you became the Nutty Professor, the original Nutty Professor. So it's the same thing, but they're now a comedy. Yeah. Well, um, Frankenstein's interesting in the sense that the, the myth has no end. The book peters out and stops. Um, whereas uh, Jekyll, of course, as you've said before, the whole reveal that Mr. Hyde is Mr. Jekyll is a twist at the end. Um, Whereas it's all front-loaded these days because everyone knows the twist that he's a schizophrenic when he drinks his magic potion. And uh, other than Dr. Moreau, I think, you know, in the end, the evil genius is consumed by his own creation. I mean, that's that's kind of how society has settled down on how the myth should end, really, shouldn't it, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, other than Dr. Moreau is the, the incredible... Uh... I mean that that this is the one that that's given people some real bad stomachs when it comes to cinema. Nobody's, I don't think, ever really managed to tie down the island Doctor Moreau sensibly, partially because you know back in the day when they had an appetite to take such things seriously, it was rather difficult to do the special effects. Yeah. Then uh, we fast forward to 1996 and. And of course, uh, yes, then we get that one with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer in it. And that's kind of killed the island of Dr. Moreau until the present day. Well, you know that film Splice, would you think that's kind of related to that? Um, It's about creating, isn't it? Is it creating new things from the science of the day? Yes, yes. I mean, it's the same genre. I I wouldn't say it's it's an exact kind of allegory of... of, uh, um, uh, of um, of of under, but it, but it's very much in that field. It just obviously the the tech is kind of newer. It's interesting that um, now that you come to mention it, that uh, Doctor Moreau is a mad scientist, whereas scientists like the pair in Splice are more a new trope that we've seen come up. Stupid scientists. Oh God. Scientists with with uh, you know we're good at science, but we're not much good at thinking. Which is what seems to have replaced the mad scientist. I mean, the point is that mad science is definitely mad. And as you said with Frankenstein, Frankenstein didn't really think through what was going to happen after he created life from sewn up cadavers on a slab. But a task in which he was, or a, a, a mental feat in which he was superseded in fact by Frankenfurter, who knew perfectly well what he was yes. going to do with his creation once he'd given it life. So there is that sort of thing of like, Oh, it's the little things. I'm an abs- sort of mixing the mad scientist with the absent-minded professor. But, um, I, I, yeah, I just don't think that... Um, I think that there's a difference between the two because I think the idea was that in Splice, it's like they're technical whiz kids who are doing yeah. this new stuff and then they behave in a completely moronic fashion. Whereas Dr. Frankenstein uh, is doing something so controversial that he's blinded to the seen the Netflix original series Hemlock Grove? Uh, some of it, yes. Uh, well, certainly that t- channels a lots of different kind of horror tropes, but one one of them, which is becomes a kind of relevant the more you watch it, is the is the kind of mad scientist idea, and they do in fact have genuine bonkers, crazy old old time scientists making all kind of genetic weird things. 
Yes, I mean it's it's living on in TV now rather than films. Yeah, I mean it, it is true. This is a good place to go into this diversion that the mad scientist has sort of relocated a bit to to television. Uh, Fringe being the obvious example. Absolutely. Um, and Fringe, I mean that's the thing about Fringe. Fringe is only as fresh as it is precisely because Walter had no competition. Uh, Walter well, and William Bell had really not much competition in culture, to, as you know, in the mad scientist game. So having a television show with one every week is just like, yay, this is good. Well, I think, you know, Walter, he was, he was, would have been a villain of the week in an X-Files episode. It's the fact that he kind of got caught and is broken and is reforming that makes him interesting because he's, he's still coming from that evil genius roots, even though he's, an, he's trying to be nice in his own ways. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it just, and, and obviously, I mean, one of the things that they harp on, uh, to some length is the connection to, uh, the Ken Russell film Altered States. And it's like, let's drop yeah. a bunch of acid and get in an isolation tank and turn into amoebas. <laughs> we still have brilliant scientists around in genres these days, but they're, they're usually skewed as being socially awkward people, aren't they? The nerds. Well, yeah, and I don't think that's really where we're the the, the centre of the uh, energy of the, the the sort of archetype. The idea is, I, I mean, I'm going to get the reason that this whole subject came up in the first place is because I watched uh, a double bill of Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator, yes. and uh, Jeffrey Coombs in these uh, two movies, and indeed uh, in From Beyond, the other movie that's kind of a sideways sort of sequel to those, he distills that idea of the mad scientist to the perfect in the in the in reanimator yes it's always a disaster he's always got his his uh what he calls the reagent um and and he injects it into a number of corpses and the, the whole point is that even though each one is like murderous and and insane and and you know really difficult to kill thereafter, re-kill thereafter, and not exactly the idea of bringing the dead back to life <laughs> as anyone else would see it. It's always like the corpse wasn't fresh enough or I used too much. or I, yeah. And he's just like, I want another one. I'll get it right and just keep giving me the corpses and I'll keep getting them and one day, one day it'll work perfectly. Well, you have to admit yeah. he's making good progress in terms of fighting back death and some, some refinement is perhaps needed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's the point about it is that Reanimator is, is, is a film that features reanimated corpses, but it is not about reanimated corpses. It's about Herbert West. Yeah. And, and I think that's the point. The focus has somewhat shifted, you know, because it's very convenient uh, in, for example, Resident Evil series of films which is just an example plucked out of the air, really. But there it's like, oh, yeah, government experiment. I mean, oh, Return of the Living Dead series, the same. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, government experimentation. Now, reanimated corpses, and they become front and centre. Whereas in reanimated, there is a whole thing of, why is he doing this? <laughs> why is he getting out of so this? So you're saying oh. the evil genius has collapsed down into a MacGuffin. Yes, it's like that's how we got to the cool stuff with the exploding heads and the and the flesh eating, you know, it, as opposed to, well, that's happening. But what's really disturbing is this guy just won't stop. 
And, 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 you know, I mean, the, the thing about it is that the, what I became quite just, you know, what, what is quite interesting about Herbert West's pathology is he is the smartest guy in the room. No one else can bring the dead back to some shambling semi semblance of life. Yeah. Nobody else can do it. And, and that kind of blinds him to the fact that he's wrong or it's not working or what have you. Uh, because he is the, I mean, he treats everyone like they're all monkeys. Which I guess to him, bearing in mind the fact that nobody else has invented this stuff, they are. So it, it's a bit of a circular trap for him, and I, I think that's good. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's that's kind of I think that the point, the good central point for the discussion. That's what we're looking for in our mad scientist is this idea that they are they genuinely have done something revolutionary and it's just got a bit out of hand but they can't just they won't stop i say interesting i've just been watching i've been watching the entire series of uh 4400 and um he kind of reprises that role doesn't he um yes to, uh, although they kind of you know, tone it down afterwards but there but there but there is certainly for the midpoint of that uh, he embodies all of those traits because he's injecting something into himself, which, strangely enough, looks very much like the serum that he, that's in Reanimator. Um, and, um, yes, transforms in a kind of Brundle-ply-esque manner um, to kind of show his obsession. Yeah, Justin, you are managing to hit the segues right there. Yes, because another one that... This is what surprised me when I looked at all the lists of things, you know, IMDA tagged mad scientists and TV tropes is that they always managed to hit the fly. Seth yeah. Brundle in the fly remake, always, yeah, that's a mad scientist uh, right there. Although, interestingly, he's an, uh, a kind of sidewards thing in that he's trying to invent a transporter... Oh. And then he goes mad because he's been yes. blended with a fly. Yes, it's 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 like he's not continually trying to inject himself with some kind of fly thing to make himself better in some ways. It's just he does the thing at the beginning and then it's the transformation. Yeah, so he goes mad. So he goes than... mad as a byproduct. Rather well, than no, it, it's it, it's still an act of hubris because he he had yeah. a, he had used it and it worked not on himself yet. At that point, he should have gone, you know, got a patent and then gone to a large corporate entity or something. And go, look what I can do, and then it could be done in proper tests and things like that. Uh, instead, what he did was that I'll take off all my clothes and go inside the transporter to see what happens. Oh, good me, I've been blended with a fly. If only there's some sort of control or oversight over my experiment. Well, yes, I suppose there is. Yes, he made a foolish error of hubris, but it was a single slip of judgment rather than a continual remaking. When you're, when you're rearranging your atoms, a single slip. Oh, my goodness. Yep, exactly. I guess that's true. But in the oeuvre of, of David Cronenberg, there are, in fact, uh, several mad scientists. I mean, what amused me about the TV tropes list is that they hit scanners, too. They managed to work out that had a mad scientist in it. It was like, yes, now look back. Yes, Scanners has the, there's a person who created the Scanners. He's a mad scientist. Well done. Good. <laughs> Add him to the list. Um, and then of course you've got, uh, on a slightly sideways tip, you have, um, Brian Oblivion from Videodrome. Yeah. Now he's not actually a scientist. He's sort of a, an amalgam of, of kind of, mad hippie kind of 
Marshall McLuhan type stuff. But there's definitely this idea, which is kind of something I wanted to branch into. But unfortunately, uh, you know, if you search for the tag cult on any movie database, you get a bunch of cult movies as opposed to movies about cults. But this mad scientist thing can kind of go sideways into uh, quests for esoteric knowledge, treating... um the devil, for example, as a subject of knowledge that is not to be known. Uh, things like the Necronomicon and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, that's all, you know, forbidden knowledge is, yeah. is equally much something that, that is kind of left with the mad scientist. The mad scientist has left and taken the Necronomicon with him, which is a, another great shame because a lot of great horror movies came out of that idea, um, oh. such as uh, things like Hellraiser and stuff like that, that you know, this idea that someone is looking for something beyond. Well, um, to sort of essay upon the opening skit slightly, uh, I think a lot of the kind of occult, cult, occult, occult movies from the, you know, 70s, 80s was coming out of, um, his, the occult hysteria that was around at the time. And so that was a thing. And whereas these days, I think, uh, we don't really need the middleman anymore. The, the devil is really the ultimate evil genius, uh, but on a supernatural basis. Uh, goodness knows what schemes he's concocted. And so he's perfectly capable of employing demons himself. He doesn't need to be, you know, he doesn't need a cult to be act as a middleman anymore, particularly, does he? Well, I, th- I mean, I think there's, uh, there's things wrong with that uh, summary. Uh, first of all, the evil scheme that he seems to be pulling up a lot is going into the bodies of random people who are tied to beds while people film them with camcorders. That seems to be his plan generally at the moment in cinema is to do that. The camcorders are very important to cut down on production costs. But yeah, I mean, you know, the number of possession movies we have is ridiculous. And then what does he do when he gets there? He kind of uh, spits and growls a bit and climbs up the wall backwards and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the fact of the matter is they say that a film genre or horror genre is over when they spoof it. Well, how long ago was it that they made Repossessed? And they're still bagging that drum. It is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess if the devil had some better plans, then maybe that might hold some water. And I think the other part about it is that um, often, and, and Hellraiser has exploited this trope as the, the franchise has continued as well, that, in fact, Hellraiser kind of typifies this idea of the devil. He knows that you're coming. And he makes it difficult for you to get in because he knows that you'll work all the harder to get in if you go, no, no, you can't come in. No, no, you can't be part of this. No, you you cannot handle this. And then you try and you try and then eventually you go, I'm trapped now, aren't I? And they go, yep. And that's the idea. And that's something that's missing, this idea that it's like, oh, I am, my mind is, it's a different kind of hubris. It's like saying, my mind can deal with the devil and then realizing after so long that you've, You've trapped yourself. That's more of a sort of Dr. Faustus. Another doctor, you understand here. I mean, I suppose he's the old school original uh, yeah. warning against intellectual. I was tricked by the devil. Why did nobody warn me? Yes, exactly. It just um, it's interesting, though. I mean, because, um, you know, this thing is also rife in kind of superheroes and stuff. What is it about our society and has been for some time that the idea of science is scary is it because it's just something it is known by a few people and the major population doesn't really understand it and things just happen and you have to go along with it and the 
you know, when you go to the doctor and he will tell you bad news and you take the medicine. Is it is it kind of that? I mean, it's you know, it's kind of ingrained into our popular culture that very intelligent people are are clearly up to no good. Well, that's that's kind of interesting that you should say that, because part of what I think is the reason why all of this stuff has has stopped happening is the fact that people no longer. I mean, it's really the dark side of of a sort of uh, unarguable with authority. I mean, this is the big problem with with science is that. Even when, you know, religion was bigger than science, because religion has its own problems of dogma, the authority of a, a religious figure is always undeminable because it, you yeah. could just say what you say is not true. However, science presumes, so, you know, the results of scientific inquiry are seen as rigorous and trusted. And if something is known by science and is repeatedly demonstrable, you cannot assail that. And the scientist embodies that idea of something that you can't argue with. Yeah. And that idea of an authority you can't argue with. And it's the dark side of that. I mean, that's why I say, you know, that's why Herbert West has such a problem. He is the smartest guy in the room, yeah. I mean, uh, even though he's completely bonkers. I am, um, I am slightly cautious that the, the, sometimes with scientists, there is an element of distrust of education. Your head's too big because you went to university and you know all this stuff, you know. Um, I feel like that's definitely. That. I mean, I think you know. Let's let's be frank here. You know, there are there are obviously um, uh, a large population of people are, aren't going are going to fit into that kind of average intelligence, and there's going to be those people that shine, and therefore they're going to be jealous or suspicious of them. I yes. That's, uh, maths. If maths has taught us anything, it's that at least fifty percent of the people you meet are of below average intelligence. Yeah. Well, no, exactly 50%. Oh, and you have to watch ITV on a Saturday night and you'll pretty much know who they're pandering to. <laughs> but this all has been that, that uh, distrust uh, and just, you know, things people don't understand. And therefore, you know, like anything really, uh, fear comes from misunderstanding or, or not understanding things. I think just so, to uh, just to kind of stab into something, I think like in the post-war, there was a kind of renaissance, not renaissance, but you know, scientists were generally speaking trusted. Uh, you could have an advertisement yeah. in which a man in a white coat told you this was the best product to buy because our formula ensures it's whiter than white or whatever. Uh, and, and that would be the sales thing. We no longer do that. These days we'll have, you know, uh, some uh, every person mother telling us it's the best product ever to get her clothes white on the white. So I, th- I think there was a kind of disenchantment with scientists that must have occurred post-war up until kind of the 70s or 80s, I think. Um, and, and these days, um, I think there's a, a bit of a thing where it's become part of popular culture. It's become known that uh, if a scientist is paid by the tobacco industry to say that tobacco isn't that bad, they will construct experiments that show that and then you kind of become a disenchanted with science in a whole new way it's like well then basically if you construct an experiment that tends to show x then you'll get that result and it's really about building a clever experiment not about trying to prove any kind of truthiness inherent in the universe and then you know quantum quantum physics also knocked uh, 
you know, some science into a cocked hat. Like there's there's things that are known pop in popular culture that scientists do not understand and are having a real problem with. And that, I think, has reduced the power of the scientist, um, you know, as a as a thing. And so people feel a lot more comfortable well, with I, I think, scientists I think when they know people, they are fallible. I think there are people, especially thinking of some of the New Age segment people, who have, who have co-opted sciencey-sounding terminology, uh, and, and layman is utterly unable to tell them apart. I think I think it's, it's a, a very important role for scientists is explaining what they know and how they know it to people. Because, you know, in America, half the people don't believe in evolution. They don't believe in evolution! Uh, because the, the concept has just never been explained, yeah, and the people who are against it have free reign to, to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I was... Uh, now, I always think about that argument of, like, look at yourself! You like pot, chimp? <laughs> Certainly with attitudes like that. But, yes. um... Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I think, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, any, any product is going to be... Any, any film, any kind of media is going to be affected by the context of the times. And I suppose that says a lot about our, our attitudes towards science at the moment, I suppose. Can I say, it was one of the most refreshing things ever that John Crichton from Farscape was sexy action man and a scientist. So often, the scientist is not allowed to be the strong man or the hero. He's the boffin back at the office. So I was quite pleased with that, in a sort of sciencey sort of way. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the other thing that your, your intro uh, elaborated on was the idea of the kind of the more masculine role in, in traditional science uh, treatment of mad scientists. Because, yeah, are there, are there many kind of female mad scientists in fiction? Well, the problem Bill? is that the archetype's been co-opted as a witch. Right. Yes. The wise woman, you know, that kind of thing. The, the only sort of unethical female scientist I can think of is the one from Deep Blue Sea, who made right. the intelligent sharks because she wanted to cure Alzheimer's and uh, broke various ethical uh, international agreements to do so. Um, but yeah, the... It's, you know, do we perceive, is that is that a cultural thing that we perceive that, you know, only men are able to, uh, to, to throw away these conventions of morality? Are it's hubris, and hubris is seen more as a male uh, character flaw, I think. Although, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, what we've just done there is thrown the doors wide open for, uh, you know, because, yeah, why can't a woman be blinded? Well, it would certainly surprise you, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, that surely, you know, if you wanted to totally do something that would would fool the audience, you would set up something and you would choose characters that traditionally haven't been had that role before and then and then put the spin on it. But in fact, they're up to some nefarious thing. Uh, let's so. turn to Mr. Whedon, Tost Whedon, um, who, uh, of course, in the fourth series of Buffy, had some sort of institute run by a, a mad scientist woman, didn't, didn't they? Uh, yes, the initiative, initiative as sorry. it was known. Yes, it, um, the thing about that was it, it wasn't really. I mean, yes, she was yes, quickly she was killed and supplanted by a Frankenstein monster. I know, but yeah, there was a yes, there was a, a Frankenstein monster type thing, um, and I, I mean, I suppose that's that was kind of an attempt uh, to sort of stab in that direction but uh really i mean it, it yeah we, we don't have a female equivalent of any of the previously named doctors of various types 
I don't know if it was before the podcast or whatever, but we were talking about Splice earlier. That's right, when we talk about Frankenstein. There was a, a, a man and a woman who were developing genetic stuff. It might, it might just be the fact that, you know, society is still, still pretty sexist in, in a lot of things and, and, and finds the whole idea of, you know, the woman as, as, as the, as the smartest person in the room to be challenging. I, I don't know. I mean, I hate to think that would be the case, but I, I can believe probably that some people would think that. I think it's also the fact of, of trying to write as a writer, if you're a writer, I mean, let's face it, Mary Shelley. A woman wrote yeah. Victor Frankenstein. As I, well, uh, I'm a woman, and even I can't see women doing well, female this. Female doctors yeah. were a bit more of a rarity back in her day, weren't they? Well, I, I, mean, I, I guess. But... I mean, I think I think you have to, yeah, you have to take that with the context of the time, but certainly yeah. not now, you know. And there's no there's no justification for it now. Or, or black um, or well, Asian. No, I mean, there's no justification for it except writers going, I'm not sure I can wrap my head around this, and that's right. that's what the barrier is. I'm sure that somewhere there is. Someone who can, but uh, they just haven't. So go to it. If you are listening to our podcast, we want to see that female mad scientist story as soon as possible. Yes, follow your dreams. Uh, I think, I mean, because if we're going to say, I mean, this is this is the thing. To exemplify how we feel about mad scientists today, and I definitely said this before the podcast, not during what we're saying now, we only have to look at, I think, the key example in modern cinema of what's happened to the mad scientist is the human centipede. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's not like, a mad scientist. He's a scientist who is mad. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, Frankenstein trying to bring life back to the dead. Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll trying to unmask man's true potential through chemistry. And uh, Dr. Moreau trying to mine the, the annals of evolution to bring forth new sentient life onto the planet. The dude from the human centipede, he's sewing three people together for no reason whatsoever, other than it's a bit gruesome. Well, uh, well, you say other than, I mean, that's, that's, that's it though, isn't it? I mean, if you, again, you, you talk about, um, the, the actual end result rather than the, the journey to get there and, and you, you watch those films because you want to see the gruesome results, surely, and, and the, in, and the minute detail of, of, of the physicality of, of the horror of it. And that's it. But I no, think that, yeah. cares about, the, about what the science is doing or why they're doing it. And if you certainly don't follow them, you would just see them as the problem that the, you know, the heroes have to escape from. And, and that's it. It's, there's no, yeah. there's no, there's no in-depth look at why, why, or even made a, made a point about, about why, why, why that would be happening. Yeah, and I think that's, that's just the visceral nature of it, you know, the nasty, the nastiness of it. I think there's a general thing where uh, people, who have seen the human centipede are like, you know what, for something so gruesome, it's kind of tedious, which it kind of is. And that's the point. I think that's the point. I think the point is that you suddenly realise this is not happening for any reason. It's just happening. And then, you know, it's like a bunch of people right. with with cameras. The, the, uh, you know, the real the, mad scientist is the production team. The sequel, which I have, I have, oh, I don't really watch these films, but the, but the sequel, I understand, it has removed the mad scientist completely because it's, it's like a copycat thing. Someone's just following the, um, in a meta sense, following the original film and doing what they do. So well, exactly. It's not even a, it's, it's, it's like, so that's not anyone, is it? I mean, that's just, that's, therefore it's absolutely 
saying, well, it's just about the result. It's not about why anyone does anything. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that we've uh, followed the journey to the present day and said, you know, we're going to open up a, a telethon line now uh, for you to all ring in and pledge, uh, you know, two pounds a month to help revive the, uh, the battered courts of the mad scientists. Because, the mad scientists. Uh, I mean, because, you know, I mean, we were even saying that if there was a film that needed a mad scientist, uh, it was um, Prometheus. Which manages to, it does amazing dodges, swerves, ducks and dives to avoid, because if you put a mad scientist in there, it all would have started to make a bit more sense, probably, but they were none. There's no reason why it shouldn't, why the archetype shouldn't exist now, because, look, you've got the internet, people have access to information that they, they other two have been difficult to get hold of. So anyone possibly could, you know, in terms of fiction, uh, be studying all kinds of things for their own purposes and, and, if yeah. it's just a well, matter of time or money, then you can build a theme park full of dinosaurs. Indeed. Um, and no, but the, you know, the, the, the science is a, a stage where, you know, there are lots of ideas going around of what is possible, what it in e- fact even means to be human and what we might do to ourselves on the genetic level, etc. So there's all kind of things going around. You could take up the baton of what Fringe was kind of, you know, working with. And there's no reason why that shouldn't exist. It's just, Clearly, there's there's something in the site at the moment, something that the filmmakers don't don't particularly want to dwell on. They're not interested in in, well, in that archetype. If I look at what what gets made as horror movies these days, I mean, we've already lamented the large amount of uh, sparkly vampires and possessed people, uh, but there's also this idea of random people with a video camera, often holiday makers, because. Where do people use camcorders? Oh, when they're on holiday. And this idea that, yeah, I mean, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, in, in preparation for watching this uh, show, I watched um, the, the remake of The House on Haunted Hill from the mid-90s. Yeah. And that was like, you could really see the beginnings of this idea of just like the the mad scientist as a MacGuffin, a reason for things to happen, as opposed right. to the centre. Because Jeffrey Combs was in it for all of like three minutes, getting yes. killed by lunatics. And then the rest of it was just, it just didn't I actually... Think it's a proper kind of a thing. It's a, it's a bit of an indictment of, of Hollywood now. But I think that, you know, for the mad scientists to actually be pro- a proper kind of archetype, you have to follow them, right? I mean, you, this is not an antagonist. You have to follow their story and their descent into madness. And mad scientists are not, you know, early 20s photogenic people. And these these are the people that you follow whenever you see a horror film these days. Well, that's you say that. I mean, not that uh, Jeffrey Combs was ever more than fascinating, I suppose. I guess even he wouldn't object to that. But he wasn't very old when they made the animator. I mean, he's not. He's not, however, the kind of character. It's it's more about it's it's not just the look, but it's the fact that those they represent, you know, young stupid people who go that's, somewhere. That's kind of the thing. I mean, horrible in, things happen to them. Yeah, in the original reanimator, of course, uh, he's there as the kind of nerdy one who cramps the style of the, uh, you know, Apollonian uh, blonde doctor who he shares a house with. You know, he's like, uh, oh, that creepy housemate you've got, which I mean, you know, so even in the 80s, they kind of had these issues to deal with and they they blooming well dealt with them as yeah. opposed to now when it's just like now if it, you know what is the point of having people who are just interesting to watch on who wants to watch 
People who are interesting to watch at the cinema. Exactly. You want to see Megan Fox. That's what you want to see. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's what's, that, that seems to be. I imagine it's what's killing that, I would have said, you know, um, which is terrible. You know, I, I think, I, I, I think you would have to leave it to more, to, you, you have to move away from mainstream horror that is churned out, you know, full of these kind of, uh, the, the kind of modern archetypes and you'd have to look to more experienced directors and there's nothing stopping them doing stuff with more substance. Indeed not. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just the fact that, well, this is one of the things, I mean, horror generally has a problem in that, um, in that it, you don't have to write a very good horror movie to make money. In fact, you can write a bloody awful one and still make some money. So where's the, where's the point of writing a good script and making a good movie? It'll well, make just as much money as just half baking. I, I think, I think the evil genius these days, the trope is problematic because it's seen as a cliche. Perhaps. Well, bit... that's, I think it's been seen that way for long enough that if you did it now, it would seem quite fresh. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is, it, we've got to the point now where if somebody actually commit, because that's one of the things that occurred to me about watching Reanimator was like, gosh, I haven't seen a film with a character like this in it in oof, ages, hmm. ages and ages. Uh, so it's waiting there. And, and you know, let, let's uh, forget, you know, the devil in the sense of, you know, possessing people and being fairly boring. I mean, the devil's gone really boring at the moment, hasn't he, really? He, it's it's been a long time, time since Devil's Advocate, you're got, quite right. He's, got, he's, gone, he's going for more cheap thrills now, rather than, you know... The centre of all evil. Exactly. It's just, it basically, he moves furniture around. Yeah. So, oh! <laughs> <laughs> the devil, a diabolical white van man <laughs> who will break your china in transit. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, yeah, that's... that's but there's, the no, there's no reason why, you know, the man type archetype, you know, he's not going to look like, a, you know, this kind of guy in a white coat and, you know, uh, crazed hair and laughing maniacally. Um, but, you know, you can be a... He, he can appear in various... Or she can appear in various guises... Um, without screaming, I am insane, you know, uh, initially, you know, it's, 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 it's just, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no reason why it can't exist in, in well, films these days. It's a, it's a hard enough job just to get scientists portrayed accurately in films these days. Look at Prometheus. Please, yeah, they're all called scientists, but who actually there acts like a scientist? Ooh, we've got an alien head. Quick, let's jigger with it until it explodes. Well, I guess we're not donating that to the Smithsonian anymore, are we? But, you know, we've got some big ideas in science. We've got the Hadron Collider. We've got, you know, we've got... Um, oh, yeah, real science is fascinating. You could you could weave in uh, something that actually seems quite realistic and not, you know, Hollywood kind of... <laughs> and and yet, if you sit, sow the seeds with something darker and, you know, more sinister at work, could be quite fascinating. But, you know, so far, no one's I mean, particularly yeah, done anything with that. It is quite weird that uh, at a time when in, in the world of... Uh, general geek culture uh lovecraft has never been bigger really uh, his star is still is, to my mind still rising yeah. we haven't still got to the point we where we've really seen a true adaption have we not something like like from hollywood like a massive well like i say i mean the closest thing and it, it's it's well, you very... do that now it'd be incredible you could see Cthulhu on screen you could yeah. see these terrible things that you could only imagine 
you know, when you were reading Lovecraft, this is a possibility in film. And, and well, yet... Unusual as it is to plug another podcast, uh, after our top five uh, revelations, although purely obviously by coincidence, a, a film called, a podcast called Junk Food Cinema is spent October doing underrated horror of the 90s, the second episode of which was all about In the Mouth of Madness. And, and again, oh, yes. they said that's this week. Yes. Right. Uh, and, and it, it, it's, it, it's good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, they're, they're, uh, that is the closest thing to H.P. Lovecraft without actually being a yeah. direct adaptation of a story. And it's just amazing that in this time when that's so hot, that, 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 that the culture's kind of relying on that kind of body of work in the past, that nobody's trying to capitalise on that whole aspect of it. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's another reason it, it came to mind, was the fact that in the 80s when nobody really gave a crap and it was all just stuff to be used, grist to the horror maker's mill, uh, yeah. people were, were keen to do it. Uh, I mean, I think possibly the idea of sort of uh, exploratory horror and all of that has kind of side-shifted into video games at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's rather banal because it's you, the person who has the controller, who is doing the exploring. There isn't actually, you can't really have a mad scientist character uh, because it doesn't really work like that, so... Yeah, so there we go. Um, I think we've possibly uh, we, we've possibly examined that, done the autopsy uh, <laughs> to the utmost of our ability right now. But of course, there are people out there, uh, many people I imagine, who are, uh, are saying, "But, but, but, '80s kids, why is it that you have not done an in-depth examination of the 1979 horror sci-fi classic Weasels Rip My Flesh?" And if they wanted to complain about that, where might they go to do that, Ian? Well, one place they could go would be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. Uh, please go there and like our page. It is our community hub. We put up links to our podcast there, as well as radical scientific ideas that the common scientists just would accept because they're so radical. Uh, but uh, podcasts are what it's all about. And for those, I suppose, who want to point your web browser towards 80s kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-A-S kids dot podomat dot com, uh, please go there and subscribe to our podcast uh, using the podcast aggregator of your choice, or download your PC for evil scientific reasons of your own. Uh, but this is anywhere our most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our horrific experiments, you must go to at leostableford.com where you may examine the uh, the dark texts of the 80s kids until uh, you find yourself walled up in a rubber room screaming, I'm not mad, I'm not mad. Uh, and if, in fact, uh, they were to take you away and do a test on you, they might decide to ask you to look at various images and say what they called to mind. What images might they use for such an experiment, Justin? Well, you might find examples of, on my highly appropriate deviant art page um, under my name, Justin Wyatt. Um, I'm just saying maybe you shouldn't take all the images and, and print them out and post them and so that they form coalesce a message I have secretly placed there over the last four years. <laughs> a whole new genre, the mad artist. Uh, well, it's it's not a new genre, the mad artist, is it? It's, it's happened before. <laughs>
so there we go. Yes, uh, nothing new under the sun, uh, but we could do with some new uh, esoteric knowledge horror. So get on it, Hollywood. Um, yep. And that's kind of my closing message there. Closing messages, gentlemen. Please, please someone make a, 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 a Lovecraftian film, a big, a big nasty film. I want to see it. I want to see it now. Uh, yeah, regular scientists and films would be good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, all right. Thanks for that. You're bringing us all down. It's Halloween. <laughs> oh. With the program. Uh, but yes, of course, as uh, it, it, to extend the insensitivity, maybe the reason we don't have mad scientists in films these days is because it's uh, it's 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 inappropriate to call them mad. That's bad for people with mental health problems. In fact, what we should call them is scientists with poorly adjusted priorities. <laughs> so, <laughs> so from the scientists with poorly adjusted priorities podcast, it's time to say goodbye and tentacles. <laughs> goodbye, Jibba Jibba. They laughed at me. They laughed at me. Well, they're not laughing now, are they? <laughs> <laughs>